Hey, welcome to Optimize Your Body with Martin Silva, where we talk raw, uncut facts to truly help you optimize your body. Guys and girls, got a very good guest on the line today. Goes by the name of William Pullen, and he is a psychotherapist based in London. And he 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 practices psychotherapy. Obviously, he has a very interesting story himself. He's also a, an author. He's on YouTube doing TED talks. He talks a lot about movement being, you know, movement being medicine. And he actually he actually practices in a wide range of, of, of mental health kind of issues and, and stuff like that. So I think we could we could have a very good conversation. But um, yeah, to get start started, Will, it'd be great if you could just tell us your story and uh, and tell us a little bit more about yourself, please, before I start going off on a tangent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's nice to be here, Martin. So I'm, what am I, I'm 51-year-old uh, London-based psychotherapist and became a psychotherapist about 12 years ago after a bit of a, a, a meltdown after a relationship ended and I, I got into a real pickle and ended up really depressed. I mean, seriously, seriously, sort of, I think it was a bit of a midlife crisis and depression. Anyway, in the end, I took up running and I took up psychotherapy. And um, after getting on antidepressants, I hasten to add. And I combined mm-hmm. the two after a couple of years. Uh, I decided to train as a psychotherapist. And then in my training, decided to see if I could br- bring together an approach to therapy, which would include running, because it had been so fantastic for me. Mm. Um, in terms of um, giving me a sense of confidence and empowerment, which, of course, all the things that go with depression. So it's a, it's a sort of shortcut to getting – it's a way to hack the system in a way because when my mind and my body – when my mind and my soul and my feelings aren't, aren't feeling very confident, I can then go to somewhere where, which is easier to use, which is my body, which is a good segue into – into the world of uh, fitness and bodybuilding. Definitely. I'm glad you mentioned that because I did notice that. I noticed you combined the two, psychotherapy and exercise, and we're going to delve a lot deeper into the exercise side of it. But I would like you to explain to us how you define psychotherapy, William, and how you found out about it, essentially, if, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. I mean, other people, it's sometimes called the listening cure. Um, so psychotherapy, in contrast to other approaches such as uh, psychiatry that uses medicine and uses labeling and, and psychology that uses labeling, we don't seek to diagnose uh, so much. We sit there and we listen and uh, we have different approaches, some of them more um, interpretive, some of them more about changing behaviors. Uh, and we believe that in a process of listening and, and, and in my case, as a humanistic therapist, offering uh, an ideal uh, relationship. Um, when I say ideal, I mean ideal enough. That means that a, a client comes to me and they can feel confident that I'm, that I'm not going to judge them no matter what they say. And mm. that gives them a, a freedom and allows their own, you know, uh, highly critical um, inner voice to relax for a moment. I show them that actually um, the bits of themselves that are so difficult to accept are actually um, really quite acceptable. And everybody's got so-called unacceptable bits. Mm, interesting. And 
Having been there yourself, and you mentioned at the start that you mm. went through a bad phase in your life, so to speak, where you know you were struggling after a breakup and you you hit a, a point of depression. How do you find that? That must benefit you a lot now because having gone through that struggle and now dealing and helping people, you know, with with mental health issues. Do you find now you have a a good level of compassion and empathy for these people having been through what you've been through? Yes, for sure. That's a really good question. No, I I do. I'm grateful on so many different levels, actually. I now have a a career which which I love and feels meaningful. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful. Uh, it's also helped me to be good at my career, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what's the third one? I was going to say yes. I've learned. I've learned some important skills which I didn't possess then, which probably um, contributed to my poor mental health at that time. I've learned skills of, uh, such as using exercise. Um, to help me feel good and get me out, and so that really helps me. And uh, and other um, non-exercise based um, coping skills that have made me into a happier and healthier human. But I I wouldn't have found those had I not had my crisis. Yes, exactly. So what is it? And the, it's the kind of exercise that you started to take part in was that primarily outdoors and and running and stuff like that. It was all running. I mean, I had been doing something which they call here British Military Fitness. Which yes, is a I, know. Organization. I know. Yeah. Oh, you know it? Yeah, yeah. I had a good uh, friend who used to run. Yeah, yeah. They've Where I'm from in, in Cardiff and Wales, they were big there, huge there. And they were all over the UK, right? So absolutely. So tell your um, listeners what how that how that works. Yeah. So oh, do you know I've got a funny story actually. It was pretty brutal. So British military fitness, it is kind of what it says it is. So you would have like almost military style boot camp outdoor training in the UK though. It's not quite as glamorous as as the boot camps you get over here in Australia. Will you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, I remember a client of mine actually, a, a client I used to personal train, and she was doing it and she was actually really getting into it and she didn't mind rolling around in the mud because of the weather and stuff you know it gets it gets pretty drastic in the uh, in the british winters but one time she ended up landing in dog poo when she was doing sit-ups and that kind of put her off for a few weeks you know what i mean but uh, i just remember the story <laughs> i can remember the look on her face when she was telling me like you know covered in dog poo um so it is pretty hardcore right will it is and and you know what i like about it is it's it's proper you know the proper they're proper soldiers, ex-soldiers, and they're still in military fatigues, and they scream at you like you're, you know, you signed up to the parachute regiment. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and it's quite good fun, and you know they're proper geezers. This is not the officer class. This these are proper, uh, you know, lads, soldiers, and mm. and uh, and it's, so it's good banter, really good fun times. Yeah, no, it's just the right side of kicking your ass and having a laugh. I highly recommend it. I think. Bear Grills, I think, bought British military fans. Oh, really? Say. And I think, yeah, and I think he's trying to rebrand it. He's changed the name subtly, and I think he's trying to roll it out in America or something like that. Mm. Yeah, it actually just came back to me now. I took a few classes, actually. I was really getting into it in my, uh, when I was like 19, 20, and I first got into fitness. I had a few friends who were obviously ex-military, and they were, they were taking a lot of the classes. And, yeah, it was, it was a really good... Uh, that's what I was going to say is... There must be something to be said, Will, in terms of your mental health. Now, we all know how important, you know, community is and actually being around other humans. 
which is something I wanted to go a bit deeper into a bit later, but do you think that plays a big part? Because I feel like the day and age we live in now, Will, you know, it's great technology where we're at is amazing. You know, we're having this awesome conversation now on Skype, crystal clear. But at the same time, you know, I'm observing that we're becoming more and more disconnected because of things like the iPhone and technology. But, you know, having humans around you and actually taking, like, you know, group fitness, for example, I'm not a huge fan of, like, the um, the structure of it in terms of, you know, because I've, I've, I've dealt with a lot of people who've got injuries. And I think, you know, when it comes to getting, you know, results physically, there's better types of training you can do. But for the mental aspect of being around another group of people, do you think that was a really big turning point for you as well as the fitness? Yes. I mean, when I took up running in it during my crisis, I took it up with a friend and, you know, mm. we were both smoking and, and drinking poker playing men and the rest. And, uh, um, I think running with him really helps. So that, that camaraderie piece I think is really important. Mm. Uh, but it's important, you know, when I did my, um, uh, TEDx talk, which is called movement as medicine. It's all about my work and, and, and my story, um, as you said, can be found on YouTube. Mm. What I, um, what I found there, oh, oh, I know what I was going to say. Yeah. What I found there is, is that the guy that talked after me, um, who was a cardiologist from Dallas, I think he was, he'd done a lot of research into longevity and sport. And he said that, um, interestingly enough, he said that sports like the way you're solo, like running and working out in the gym, um, only add about a year onto your life. Whereas the one that was most extreme was, um, was doubles tennis. Doubles tennis adds nine years onto your life because it's so sociable, because it uses the whole body mm. in all, you know, going left, right, up, down, uh, unlike running. And the banter in tennis is really good. So, yeah. and often there's, you know, in doubles tennis, there's a little sort of slightly sexy kind of twist to it. Yeah. And so you're, 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 you're being kept highly sociable and you can, you can play tennis, doubles tennis since your eighties, you know, mm. or, or, or longer. So yeah, the, uh, in answer to your piece, I do think that, uh, that the socialization's really big, really good, and the evidence bears it out. I also think, and we were talking about this just before we went on the uh, started recording the show. Uh, there's something I think is called orthorexia, um, which mm. is uh, I'm always forgetting the, how to pronounce it. But it's basically people who become obsessed by uh, all the data that comes off their various devices, right? So they're numbering. I've done 10,000 steps, eaten 500 mm. calories, my heart rate's this, my blah, 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 blah. And they're constantly checking their data and they become obsessed by it. And the point I'm trying to make here is that if we're not careful, we end up the other end of that doubles tennis where we end up alone um, going to the gym, feeling really good when we walk into the gym, feeling good when we walk out of the gym and then going home to an empty house, mm. um, not having much fun because we want to look after our health. And I'm guilty of this too. Mm. I want to look after my health. I don't want to go drinking. It's much easier just to work out and go home. And, yeah, and uh, definitely. 
and that can have an impact on your mental health and it can have an impact on your on your social life and 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 your romantic life orthorexia such a great point because i've actually been learning about that now i'm studying a, a nutrition course at the moment actually and i was i was it was i couldn't think exactly when you mentioned the name then and then i remembered but i've been there myself and i'm glad we're on this topic because i can definitely identify with this and people I've coached online and as a, as a personal trainer when it comes to actually obsessing over numbers, but also just going so extreme with fitness and exercise because finding that balance, as you said, you know, the social aspect and, and actually having, you know, that side of your life kind of balanced and, and, and going out and having fun and stuff like that is very important. But yeah, like the, the, the whole obsession when it comes to, you know, tracking nutrition intake is, is one example. You know, a lot of people, you know, tend to take, you know, replace one eating disorder with another when they end yeah. up tracking. Yeah, they end up tracking so meticulously. And it's, you know, that is just an example, but it, that, that type of thing shouldn't be a destination. It's a good starting point and it's a good tool for some people. But man, I've really seen people, you know, actually having worse episodes of binge eating um, as a result of tracking the numbers and trying to fit, you know, foods which, which they're highly addicted to into their, into their regime. And I guess, once again, as you were saying about exercise, um, I'd like to ask you more about that. Because um, I've been there myself, obviously haven't competed at, at a high level. I've, I've pushed it too far, so to speak, at one point, And I was just totally obsessed with, I, I talk about this quite a lot, with, you know, body dysmorphia. Um, body dysmorphia is, is what it's called, obviously. Bigorexia is another term for it, right? Where, you know, right. I was skinny growing up. And then um, when I managed to yeah. get to a stage where I was in, you know, in, in you know, really good shape, I was still searching for the next thing and the next thing. And then... My whole life was out of balance, you know. I was binge eating. I wasn't going out socialising, so I can I can definitely relate to it. But what are your experiences with, uh, with it then, Will? Because you must have actually dealt with clients and, and met individuals um, who have actually struggled with this. Oh yeah. So you know, my my office is often fifty percent of the people in there are in there for striving of one sort or another, striving to be better striving to be more successful, striving for something. And that striving, that always wanting to get ahead, always leaves you with a – it always comes from a place where you understand that where you are is not good enough. Like you, not feeling very big when you were small and wanting to be bigger. Mm. Um, you know, that's a good example of it. Other people feel unloved, and so they strive to get attention. Other people are striving for money because they didn't have enough or respect or whatever it may be. So striving is a massive one. And, you know, it's great to strive. It's great to challenge ourselves. The reason, you know, exercise and working out is, is rewarding in the good way that it's rewarding is because, you know, challenge and happiness are highly correlated. Challenge Happiness studies will show you that, that when you set yourself a challenge to do something, it's, uh, it creates a lot of happiness um, as you work your way along that and, and you get better. Um, however, there, is, uh, there can be a missing part. So one of the work I do, I, I do is something called boarding school syndrome, which is with, with uh, people who go off to boarding school at an early age, and, and they're often strivers. And what they don't understand many of them, because they haven't felt much joy in their lives from a very young age, having been sort of um, 
sort of abandoned in school is that is this is the value of this thing called joy you know there's we all recognize the value in accomplishment we value we recognize the value in uh, in attaining skills and wealth and respect uh, but we leave joy behind and then we end up you know the richest man in the cemetery or the most successful man in the cemetery but not having had a life of that much fun and life ought to be fun life ought to be joyous and mm. it's fun you know exercise is fantastic for instance if you're a drug addict or something yeah by all means replace your addiction uh, of drugs with exercise because that's a step in the right direction but don't then give over the rest of your life to to an exercise addiction you know find out what gives you joy don't don't make a don't take accomplishment over joy every time. So joy must be there, and joy is about expression. Joy is about creativity. It's about playfulness. Um, it's not about self discipline and um, and you know setting yourself near impossible goals and then, as you said, um, moving the bar once you get there. Right, right, yeah. And how do you actually get people to take the first step? For just just for an example someone who's come in and you said about 50% of people you get in your office to see you roughly, they struggle with this. I don't know, I'm going to call it striving syndrome. I forgot what you called it. What, yeah. was, what, what did you call it? What did no, you call I think it? that's a good way to yeah. call it. Yeah. 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 I, so that's yeah. it. And, and it's again, a lot of that probably comes down to childhood and obviously past experience. There's something underlying, but you know, human behaviors, uh, you know, it's, it's very, it's very tough to change human behaviors, right? So you mentioned then about replacing, um, obviously if you're addicted to drugs and you replace that with exercise, then you've had an incredibly healthy transition there, right? Regardless. But at the same time, you know, the, the behaviors can still remain, right? So that kind of addictive, obsessive behavior can still yeah. be active. And yeah. What I was going to say is, how do you actually get people, for example, to take the first step if they've come into you, let's just say on the first session, and you realize, okay, they're, they're struggling with, you know, the striving, the striving thing you were talking about. How would you go about getting them to, you know, be, I mean, would gratitude and appreciation and stuff like that come into it at some point, or is that a bit too, I know it's, I know it's very individual for each person, but yeah, any kind of, yeah, advice you have for yeah, us or tips? Yeah, it's a long journey therapy. Uh, um, you know, striving also has to do with expectations. And so one of the first things I try to do in therapy is remove the expectations. Yeah. So I'll say, well, what do you want to get out of this? And if they say something, I'm going to make an extreme example here. But if they said something like, well, I want to be fully better and fully understood this and all within 6.7 weeks, um, I want this to happen, then right away i'll say well therapy doesn't work like that you can't be sure of when when will happen why it will happen or what will happen mm. um uh, but then more than that i'll say well what's behind that what's behind that expectation and what do you think the delivery looks like when we get to the other side let's say hypothetically we achieve this striving that you're looking for this quick turnaround this perfect turnaround who do you think you'll be at the end of it and then we understand that there's this fantasy of finally being seen, finally being heard, finally being appreciated, finally feeling powerful enough or whatever it is. And as you know, every time we get to that place, we just shift it along somewhere else. So it's really ultimately about being okay within the here and now with the imperfect self. 
and just be more playful in the world because you're never going to get to a place where you just think that you're uh, an amazing person all the time and that the life is amazing and that life is fair and that definitely you, know, you might have moments of that by all means but it won't last that long and it'll come and go like it does for everybody else and the wisdom um, about how you deal with that coming and going is more important perhaps than anything else in your life because if you fight against it, if you fight against every misfortune as though you're, you're the one that's being picked out or as though you are somebody who has the ability to change um, the way the world works, you're in for a really tough ride. Mm, definitely and i can totally switch that over to fitness because you know the, the majority of people i deal with they actually want to look better especially in the day and age we live in now i think this has been accelerated even more in terms of people being self-conscious about how their appearance is or how mm. their body looks so a lot of people the main driver for them when they come to me is to look better and improve certain parts of their body. So I always yeah. try and get them to unpack the reason why that is as kind of cheesy as that sounds, knowing why is very important. So, you know, why do you actually want to, why do you want to have abs, for example, and unpacking that and getting them to actually realize a bit more about the reasons why I think is very important, but it's exactly the same thing. I've been there and I've been in um, incredible shape, you know, and I've been down to like sometimes 5% body fat for shows and I've still been, yeah. maybe even less than that, and I've still been looking in the mirror, picking off areas which I wasn't happy with and then trying to actually maintain that physique once you've been in that physique, in that shape, trying to maintain that when I wasn't, when I wasn't competing then was a major battle and that's when I developed the binge eating disorder. But... Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you can relate it to that as well. You know, you, you think by building your dream body, you're all of a sudden then you're going to be like, oh, well, I'm satisfied and I'm fulfilled. But I think people lose touch with the process, right? Well, and, and do you think the process and actually the character you build along the journey is an important piece that people need to... Yeah, I, I do. And, and, and I, this is a question for you, Martin. What because uh, I've, I've experienced this and I know that many of your listeners will have done, but I think one of the big giveaways that something's out of balance, out of whack in the way that your what your expectations are and how you're using exercise in your life. One of the giveaways is what happens when you get injured, right? Yeah. Um, and you, and you've got to stop exercising. Mm. If that's, you know, if that's quite catastrophic for you, if it really throws your world into disorder, um, then that's something you can look at and start asking yourself, well, am I overly leveraged in this life? Why mm. is there not more? Why can I not enjoy this one month off as an opportunity to whatever, touch base again with my friends, catch up on the theater, whatever it is that you might be doing. Mm. That's if, a great point. If, it, if, all you, if, if all you feel is the drama of the, of the loss of control, uh, then it just shows that you're obsessed about control and you're con perhaps controlling your body and controlling your exercise because the rest of your life doesn't feel controllable enough. And, uh, and indeed, it's, not, it's, hard, it's hard to exercise that much control over the rest of our lives, right? Because we don't control what the financial markets do. We don't control uh, illness. We don't control uh, most things. Absolutely. So, you know, if, yeah. 
you see my point yeah i definitely do yeah and do you think on that topic do you think you know appreciation you mentioned that and you know appreciation over over expectation is something that always stuck in my head from tony from one of tony robbins talks before you know and um i think it was him who inspired me to start uh, practicing gratitude around about maybe 18 months ago and i always say to the listeners i'm probably sick of me saying it now i say it every episode but it really was a true game changer for me practicing gratitude every day and it took a while um meditation is something i haven't really been as consistent with but i do use breathing techniques and stuff when i when i get a little bit stressed out but I guess what I'm trying to say is um, being grateful and actually appreciating, you know, what you've got. Do you think yeah. that? Do you think that is um, like a, a good practice for a lot of people, or do you think for, for most people you actually come across? Do you feel like that's a little bit out of their depths to start with? Or, well, I don't know if, for instance, appreciation. But appreciation works for me now in my life because I've, you know, I've been through these emotional dramas and sometimes. I was one through one not so long ago, a year ago. And sometimes they're about wanting to be some with somebody, and sometimes they're about learning that about being grateful not to be with that person anymore. Yes, you know. So, so appreciation comes in different. Gratitude comes in different shapes and sizes for people. Mm-hmm. I think meditation, on the other hand, is 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 actually easier. But that that could just be me. Uh, that's a nice segue, actually, into. Um, into something that I think your listeners might like, which is my um, my dynamic running therapy app. Because on there, I've got um, really easy beginner-style meditation on there, breathing ones, mindful walking, mindful running. They're just sort of you listen to me and um, uh, and, and, and do various things at the same time. And it's slightly therapeutic, slightly sort of meditative. Mm. Um, it's totally free. It's only for the iPhone, I'm afraid. Yeah. There's also programs on there for depression and, uh, and anxiety, if any of your clients or, or any of your clients or your listeners are dealing with that. But meditation, I did it this morning. I do try to do it every morning. 10-minute um, breathing exercise. Wow, it changes everything, you know. You, it, it's, it's good for your body, it's good for your breathing, it's good for your mind, good for your stress. But literally, when I, when I get a good practice going and I'm doing it every day, the, the trees, the colors that I see on plants are literally brighter just because I'm, in, I'm just that much more present and that much more alive. It's mind blowing. It is mind blowing, and yeah, yeah. I yeah. Talking about that, your dynamic running therapy, I did. I did notice that, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. And also mm. another little segue. Now I think you might go on a little detour here now, but it's all it's all relative. I wanted to talk quickly about purpose because I watched your TEDx talk uh, on movement is medicine. And yep. sorry, TEDx talk, right? Is that is that right or TED talk? Correct. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and you were talking about purpose, which is something that I've really kind of um, learned about and and kind of connected a lot of things together by realizing what my purpose was in life over the last few years, really, as as opposed to going into the dark side of, you know, um, like I said, the the, the body dysmorphia, the eating disorders, and kind of a really bad relationship with food, and then actually um, learning to eat intuitively and and kind of look after myself more and changing the way I train, train, just, just taking care of myself, really, making my health a priority. And then I realized then, oh, actually, this is what it's about. It kind of clicked in my head. 
And then I realized, wow, my purpose is not actually posting pictures of me in my pants on Instagram, <laughs> which is just <laughs> absolutely pointless. All it's doing is, is probably making people feel worse about themselves. Um, I realized my purpose is actually to, to, to try and help people achieve where I am at now, which is, you know, uh, physically I'm in, I'm in the shape of my life. Um, and a lot of that is a re- as a result of taking care of myself and, and focusing on those things that you mentioned. Even, even I practice meditation for a while, as I say, I, I, I don't do it daily like yourself, but, um, I, the breathing techniques that I use, just, just learning how to breathe, right? Well, I think that's something, uh, yeah. we take for granted, right? Breathing. But yeah, sorry, before I go off on one, um, talk to us a little bit about, uh, purpose, because obviously you found your purpose in life. And I feel like, um, and they've actually done a lot of studies on this, Will, which uh, you probably know about, which actually blew my mind. The other day I was listening, uh, for example, people who have kids as well, because obviously that's an extreme version of purpose, right? When you've got, when you've got kids yeah. to look after, um, they tend to have happier, healthier lives. And I don't know the details of the studies, but yeah, it's very important, right, Will? Well, actually, I've read, I've read data showing that actually kids don't make you happier. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe I got that wrong. <laughs> yeah, that it's actually neither a net gain nor a net loss. Um, but uh, but there's per- certainly a perception amongst people who have kids that it's a net gain. Thank God. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, let's talk about purpose. So I. Yeah, I found purpose in doing this work that I didn't have before. I think purpose, when you look at purpose and happiness, it, it, it really, I was watching this uh, show, what was it called? On um, It was on Netflix, and it was called something like Happiness. I think it was Happiness. It was a one-hour yes. show called I know Happiness. Which, I think I know which one. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and at one point, they're interviewing these, uh, I think they're, pr- I think they're slightly religious Frenchman or something who are working in a, in a, in a place in Calcutta for the dying. And these guys literally go out and pick up the poorest of the poor off the street and put them in this big dorm and, and look after them. And I have to say, when you look at the smiles that these guys had, as they were talking about their work, you can see it's a different quality of smile. It's a smile that runs so deep that the level of contentment and meaningfulness, it just gives a different kind of smile. Now, I'm not doing that work, and I'm sure that many of your clients and listeners aren't. Um, But I think for those of us, going back to the piece where we're inclined to exercise can make us self-absorbed. Mm. Um, that, that this whole thing around intrinsic and extrinsic values and when we go for things that are for extrinsic like what we look like and how we look to others things outside of ourselves status and things like that they just evidence shows they don't give us that much happiness and that uh, intrinsic values about who we are and what we do and how we connect to others and the choices that we make and the values that we care for these are much more important and so I would in terms of purpose, I would say, you know, try and balance out that obsession with exercise, that obsession with, with, uh, with body, with making sure you, you, you're connected to other people. You can still use your body. Go dancing. Learn how to dance with others. Mm. You know, try, don't try to necessarily be the best dancer there. It could be just be playful dancing. Mm. Um, or, you know, go and pick up, if you want to go and pick up homeless people or build houses for, uh, for some organization, some charity, get a hammer out. These things will make you so happy. Go and sing in a choir. 
Go and join a uh, musical theater group. These things will make you so happy. You won't even understand what the hell you were doing before, <laughs> you know, mm. going home every night and peeling yes. one cucumber before you ate it. And <laughs> <lay in> <laughs> exactly. That's it. That's exactly it, though, isn't it? And it's until you actually come out of that little bubble you're in, which is what I was yeah. in for years. And I'm actually going to be doing a, another competition in like 15 weeks' time. I haven't competed for like three years. I'm just going to do one more. So it's going to be interesting now because I'm in a different state of mind. But last time round, the last kind of the first few shows I did, it's very selfish. This is an extreme. This is a very extreme example. But um, it's a very selfish sport because obviously you sacrifice a lot. But I think people just in general with fitness and health like like you said chopping up your cucumber it just gets a bit, it gets a little bit out of hand so do you think these things you talked about in terms of dancing and just being around people interacting do you think like novelty and you know they talk about um neuroplasticity and those kind of um yeah. you know you know obviously you've heard of that and you know what you know what it is but do you think these things like play a part in it just just doing different things with people and massively yeah. I, mean, I think you've really zeroed in on something a variety don't you know don't pick you know one of these things and make that then the thing that you do for the next 20 years because it'll also lose uh, quite possibly lose i mean if it's just dancing um try, try to keep variety in your life that's highly highly correlated with happiness even if it just means go, going to work in different ways take the bicycle this day the bus this day go this route that way that this day yeah. and so forth and, and, and mix up the people that you see mix up your diet just get out of any kind of rut depression is is all about is all about this kind of continuous rut of doing the same thing the same way and then asking yourself why life doesn't feel more exciting. Mm. Do you know mm. what I mean? If you have one cheeseburger for actually I could eat cheeseburgers every night. <laughs> no problem. No problem. <laughs> one yeah, one cucumber every night. It's not going to count. You're going to feel pretty joyless after a while. <laughs> Damn right. Damn right. I can relate to that. No, I wanted to talk to you. I actually just come back to me then. I, I read a book which was called Lost Connections. Have you heard of that book by Johan Yari? Yeah. Harry? Yes. Yes, indeed I have. Yeah. Have you? So you, you obviously know of this guy. Yeah. Have you actually uh, ever met yeah. this guy? Because uh, he's based in... I've never met him, no, but I'm a big fan. Oh, great. I'm glad you said that. Don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm glad you, uh, you, you... I didn't want you to say, oh, no, that's a terrible book. I don't believe in it. <laughs> it's just going to be like, okay, changing the topic. No, but um, it just came back to me then, the stuff you were saying about, you know, just doing different things. And I think, um, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the, the mental health epidemic that we're currently facing. Yeah. Because it's very fascinating, the stuff he talks about, um, you know, like disempowerment. In, in the work environment and people not feeling empowered and connecting with others um, often enough. And as you said, like studies also show that, you know, spending time with people and experiences are going to give you much more joy than going out and buying some new stuff, right? Materialistic things. Yeah. So, yeah. So I wanted to ask you um, what, I, this is probably a broad question, but what do you think mm. the main drivers are, if you had to say, based on your experience, um, on you know why we're facing uh, a mental health epidemic right now? 
Ooh. <laughs> How much time have you got? Uh, I think uh, this whole, it, it, a lot of people are talking about intrinsic versus extrinsic values, what you've just talked about there, about, you know, the external values versus internal ones. That's a massive one. We live in a world now that's highly visual, Instagram, et cetera. Mm. It's, it's, it's pivoting us towards the external, which is overwhelmingly uh, well, going back to your connection piece, you know, that book is really all about how connection or the loss of connection drives, the theory goes, is that, is that it, it drives an, an enormous amounts of divorce and drug addiction mm. and depression, and that connect, good connection is the answer to everything. And I think it's not far off the case, actually. Yep. Um, so I think the modern age is, you know, we live increasingly alone. Um, in flats by ourselves, or increasingly we only communicate with people via phones and messaging, so there's not that human human contact anymore. When we do, you know, when I go and meet somebody, when I was a kid, if you went to go and meet somebody, I grew up in Oxford, if you went to go and meet somebody in Oxford, you'd, you'd have to make an appointment to see them in half an hour at this pub or this place. And you couldn't, you know, you couldn't that morning go, do you mind if we, if we don't, um, you know, I, I've changed my mind or let's take in that. You just, you made a commitment to people. You were forced into sticking with it. When you got there, you knew that this person had given up a lot too. Yep. They'd given up a certain amount of flexibility and blah, 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 blah. They decided to, to share this moment with you. This morning with you was all yours and nobody else's. And that gave even the most casual coffee a certain value that it doesn't have today. Today you meet somebody for a coffee, you know, you know they've got another 10 things on their list of things they're going to do. And they very cleverly slotted you in in the 11 to 12 o'clock slot. Yeah, you know, yep. you're just slotted. There's nothing special about being slotted. No, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. I think you know, allowing ourselves to be bored as well. That's one thing I've really started thinking about lately. Yes. Is like, for yeah, for example, for example, now, well, you know, for example, you're in a line or you're in a queue somewhere, as we call it in the UK, and you're lining up for something in a in a store or whatever. It could be anywhere, you know. To not get your phone out, right, I urge any of the listeners listening to this now to stand there just without getting your phone out and just wait patiently, right? And you start feeling, you actually, I've been doing it. I've been making sure I do it like pretty much every time now. And you start feeling a bit odd, right? And you actually stand out as if there's something, as if you're the odd one out and there's something wrong with you because you're stood there and you're not on your phone. Yeah. And I th- I personally, I don't know, you, you'll definitely know more about this than I do, but I think it's to do with like the dopamine hit we're getting nonstop from our phones, you know, whether it's yes. social media or emails, wherever it is, I feel like we're just, it's almost like a drug, right? And that's, I personally think, I think, you know, social media is like, it's an experiment. And I always say, you know, uh, something I heard off, off a podcast I really like is social media is almost like the processed food of this generation because with uh, processed foods you know we didn't really know how much damage it was going to do until you know now we're facing an obesity epidemic because these foods it's not just the foods themselves they make people overeat as well right so um it's and i feel like social media is also a big experiment but um could you talk to us a little bit more about that mate about boredom and stuff yeah it's a tight little (laughs) dopamine loop uh it's uh, it's just, you know, you watch those videos that Facebook sends you or Instagram, you know, the, the ones they curate for you. 
And I don't know about you, but I, they send me ones that are so good. I think it's partly because they know I'm a man and they know what men like to see. So there are lots of sort of car accidents and yeah. crashes and <laughs> machines making things, machines cutting things up. Yep. And as a man, just like I'll watch that all day long. You can just show me a guy with a chainsaw cutting down a tree or building a chair or something. I'll mm. watch that shit. Next thing you know, two hours have gone by, you know. And the reason it works so well is because they've used years and years of research and algorithms and feedback loops to let you them know exactly how long your attention can be kept for and, and when the payoff needs to come. Um, you know, I, it's... It's it's quite terrifying. Um, you know, if the food companies were doing it 30 years ago, 50 years ago, they learned that they could, if they added extra sugar or extra salt to the food, it made people like it more. Mm. And then one day they worked out, actually, we can put loads of sugar and salt in the food, combine them together, and they sort of cancel each other out. Yes. But at the same time, they actually totally tweak you out as Definitely. well. So we can hide this tweak in here, and these people won't even know why why this thing seems like the best thing they've ever had. Exactly. And and that's what they've done with social media now. That they, they, They've packed it with so much. I mean, you look at my phone. I've got everything from a trading account on there to you know, to my app stuff. I've got so much data and information and social networks, yeah. you name it. There's something on there for every kind of minute that I want to fill. Exactly. But here's what I'd like to say, and, and you, Martin, hats off to you. You keep on bringing up some incredibly important points. You obviously Great. listen to a, po- a lot of podcasts. And, I do, yeah, and I do. Yeah, I can tell. Thanks, man. Yeah, so so definitely try try that. Um, try to put the phone down. I'm always trying this as well. I think I've got a bit of a phone problem, really. And yeah. stand in the supermarket. It's a nice opportunity in the line to just look at people, so it's not too bad. I mean, the really hardcore test is doing it at home alone and not picking the phone up and picking a book up or just trying to sit there for 10 minutes. Anyway, either way, wherever you are, try not to pick the phone up. You'll feel a bit uncomfortable, but use that moment to ground yourself in your breath. Just come home to your body because what happens is you come out of your mind just like, oh, shit, where am I now? What's going on now? What do I do with this moment? And actually, the body doesn't need to do anything with it. Go back to the body, stand there, breathe, feel your body, play with your weight a little bit, get into your breath, and you'll find actually after one or two decent breaths that you're fine just standing there doing nothing. Mm-hmm. But what the social media stuff does is it, and that dopamine stuff is it changes the way you breathe, and it tweaks out that into, into I believe, I, actually I'm not quoting research here, but I'd love somebody to do some. I think that you'll find people's breathing is very different while they're on social media to it is when Such they're just standing point. there relaxed. I've never heard that before, but you know what? That is so Me neither. You mixed. heard it here first. When you originate <laughs> some research and There that, we go. No, I'll tell you what, though. That makes absolute important. sense. <laughs> yeah. No, it makes total sense. I do sense feel of. like it promotes shallow breathing, don't you? Definitely. 100%. It's only when I... St- for, I think you've inspired me to actually do uh, more meditation again because I, st- I my excuse is I have clients. I have my, my PT clients who are in the mornings. 
So like 5 a.m. Yep. And I, so I get up, I get up at like, what time? 10 past four. I do my routine. I do my mobility moves. I do my gratitude, but I'm, I'm skipping the meditation. But I think I need to just do a few minutes, right? Just because the breathing, what you just said is you, you've just hit the nail on the head because I've just clicked in my head now. When I focus on my breathing, it is a completely different type of breathing, right? Because you realize, oh, wow, like I never take deep breaths like that, unless you're exercising and whatnot, which is a bit different because you're putting your body under stress, which can be good. Obviously, your body responds in a way which is good for you, but it's still a stress. But just to focus on your breathing and take deep breaths, I feel like it's just, that's so true. It's got to be true. Yeah, and you want to get the last of that oxygen out of your lungs as well. You know, when you do one of those big... Ah, one of those breaths, yeah. You're getting all that oxygen out down the bottom of your lungs. Otherwise, you know what you're doing is you're walking around with shallow breath. At the bottom of your lungs, this is the story I tell myself. I'm not a, a pulmonary <laughs> lung specialist. You can get away with but it, mate. The way, yeah, I, mean, I, I am as of today. <laughs> um, the, the, what I feel, and you tell me if this is plausible um, anyway in, in, in the story you tell yourself, but um, but the, when we don't do a full breath, that, there, there's this kind of fist-sized pocket of breath stuck at the very bottom of your lungs. It sits there, this moldy old breath yes. <laughs> that's not being breathed in or out. And yeah. it's just sitting there, just sort of just full of pollution and weighed exactly. down in the bottom of your lungs. You want to flush that out with a proper breath. Proper breath. That's exactly it. It must just be sitting there just lingering, you know, just preventing you from taking yeah. those proper breaths. But yeah, I guess, um, you know, we're coming towards uh, the end now, but like there's a, I mean, there's so much stuff we could talk about. I've really enjoyed this, and I think you've added a lot of value to uh, to my audience here, mate. So I appreciate this. But um, let's just talk a little bit more about um, quickly about you know movement is medicine and, and how important movement is because mm. I always say to people that yes, you know when you I always recommend because a lot of people listening to this now will a lot of them you know they want to lose body fat and get in shape and get an aesthetically. Yeah. Please in physique, if you like, right? But then also, you know, they want to be healthy. And I'm, I'm constantly drilling that home that if you get yourself like, um, like a Fitbit or something to track your steps, right? As you mentioned earlier, yep. it can end up being an obsession. But for the most part, it's, it's a good tool to use. So just getting out and moving, right? Yes, you're gonna, yep. your overall calorie intake is going to be higher and you're going to get, you know, potentially the physical results. But what it does for you um, mentally, getting outside and just walking and getting fresh air, is just a game changer, right, Will? Just that movement. Massively, massively. But what, what I want to advocate actually here is, is moving and, and doing it while concentrating on the breathing, which is what the mindful walking and mindful, breathe, and mindful running is all about. Mm. It's, it gives you a connection to self and, and, and others. And, and if you listen, that's, that's on my app, as I mentioned. But if I'll you check that watch, out. I'll, I'll check it out myself and I'll leave it in the show notes. Great, great. And if you listen to Movement is Medicine, I talk in there about a, uh, a process I, I created called Empathy Walks or Empathy Runs, which are movements that you do with other people, walks or runs that you do with other people. And they're this sort of sharing exercise. And they're really profound and, uh, uh, and very simple to do. And they lead to high levels of connection. So if anybody finds running boring or finds running or finds himself slightly isolated in their exercise or never or it's never run before then watch watch my um my youtube talk um 
of uh, of my TEDx talk, sorry, mm. and um, and you will uh, you'll see a strategy there for exercising in a way that's more fun. I believe more fun is a lot like what I was doing when I first through my crisis of running with somebody, learning how to listen and talk. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a much more fun way of exercising, much better for you, I think. Definitely. And do you reckon, can you still use the app and just walk as well? Because uh, with oh, my, yeah. a lot of my listeners, like they tend to just mainly lift weights and stuff. And I mean, they don't get me wrong, they would, they would run, but a lot of them are, are driven more by, like I said, by aesthetics and stuff like that. Can you still do it walking or is it not as effective? You most definitely can do it walking. Um, as I said, you can, you can uh, yeah, most Great. definitely. Or you do the meditation stuff, which is you've got the walking or the running meditation, or there's the sitting, the breathing meditation. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, so I was going to ask you about, um, real quickly, about what your thoughts are on, like, tips, should I say, sorry, tips and tricks for any of the listeners, because you know how many people, um, these mental health, you know, the, the silent killer, they call it, mental health ailments yeah. uh, are rife nowadays. And I'm sure people listening to this have uh, either experienced it themselves or they'll know someone who has. Um, what, what are your, ma- like, how do you look after your mental health nowadays then, Will, and how do you maintain uh, where you're at now? Um, through having a, a meaningful job, is one uh, through creative things, writing, mm. um, through trying to include variety in my life and in, intentionally trying to do different things. And, um, and then a big piece is, is being, being fit and healthy. You know, the, the, uh, the more, I, the older I get, the more I value, um, not having a hangover in the morning. I, every now and then it's a great way to break that. My self-obsession is to have a great big night out and wake yeah. up and just go to what I feel like hell, but it's nice just not to have to go to the gym this morning or whatever it may be. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but mostly, yeah, I look after and, and I, I love feeling good. I love, I, I go out for runs with the ASICS run club here in London, oh, nice. which are, you know, it's a shoe company and we run out of, at seven o'clock just before they shut the store they they invite people to show up there and we just run around Hyde Park I know you've got a Hyde Park in Sydney yeah we have yeah yeah what a lovely place to do it though mate Hyde Park in London that's great oh oh yeah I mean we go Martin we go past two palaces do you have any palaces in Sydney uh we know as far as I know no we don't actually know (laughs) Maybe there's a Rupert Murdoch palace somewhere, but we've got one with the Queen, as everybody knows, Buckingham Palace, and then, of course, Kensington Palace with, uh, I forget who's in there, but various people. That's amazing. What a spot that is, though. So you actually live right near Hyde Park yourself, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I actually, I really do love London, you know. I didn't appreciate it enough. It's funny how, talking about appreciation, since I came over to Australia two years ago, it makes you appreciate then, you know, what, you know, what the UK actually has. I know we don't have the weather, and that's a big, uh, that's a big blow for us, but I tell you what, what a city London is, you know, because we went, we went back there, and we, uh, we stayed there, and it's just the energy, and Oh, it's just a great city. And like, the only thing is, I, as much as I, I'm not going to talk crap about Australia, a lot of my, my listeners are Australia. It's an amazing country. But the only thing we take for granted in the UK is the history and the culture we have there, you know? It's incredible. Yeah. 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 What I envy about Australia, though, 
is, you know, you see Australians and they all look tall and fit and healthy. The women are, instead of a lot of, well, I'm part Welsh like you. And oh, you, look, wow. you go to Wales, everybody's sort of super short. The women are only about five foot tall. That's true. <laughs> on a good That's, day. True. That's just a good and, point, actually. And, you know, in, in Australia, they're tall and athletic. They look like they're all on Baywatch or something. <laughs> Not well, all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah. That's where I live. Um, I live so in eastern suburbs, that. so yeah. Do you? Yeah, yeah like I Bondi and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, just the yes. same kind of, the same suburbs anyway, a bit further down, could you, but yeah. What, do you think you really do end up with skin cancer if you don't put it, do you put all that stuff on yourself? No, no, that's a, that's a great question because I feel like it's a trade-off, right? So we, firstly, we didn't evolve putting sun cream on. And secondly, I'm not going to, don't get me wrong, I've got something else to say as well. But secondly, a lot of the sun creams and stuff and lotions you get, have got so many chemicals in them and stuff like that, that you put in like a lot of crap into your system, right? However, yes, you do need to, you do need to wear sun cream if you're going to be out roasting in the sun. But it's actually a great analogy I use, Will, is like with anything now, with exercise, a great one I use for exercise, like when people start exercising, right, you've got to start slowly. If you want to sustain it for a lifetime, build sustainable health, you know, build a good physique that you can maintain, it has to be like an, uh, a slow, yeah. steady process. You have to be patient. And it's just like the analogy I use is you wouldn't go out in the sun, right? If you hadn't had any sunlight for, let's just say, a few months, proper sunlight, you wouldn't go out into the Aussie heat for three hours with no cream on. And it's the same thing as yeah. fitness, you know? People try to go from zero, as you said, from zero to 100 straight off the bat so uh yeah but yeah, i think yeah, yeah the, the, the the whole you do see a lot of it though well you do see like some older people here and you can see who hasn't taken you know uh, being cautious in the sun and who has you know it's it's, right. it's actually really noticeable um yeah okay mm. good great stuff um yeah so wait one more thing then i just before we one or two more things before we wrap it up right so um yeah. let's just just any any kind of advice you have for the listeners who are looking to you know they want to get in they want to get in shape and like physically and mentally um, what would you say? Oh, okay. Well, the same thing that I say in my talk, which is uh, uh, no matter what kind of hole you're in in the moment, physical, um, out of shape, or mental or emotional um, hole you're in, uh, everything you can get out of everything, and it's so easy. Uh, and it takes only one thing, which is the first step. Don't worry about the second step. Just do one step at a time. Don't worry about when and how or what. Just take one step in the right direction. So if you're doing no exercise, literally go out tomorrow, stand outside and do one step. And the next day do two. And the next day do three. And just build it up. And, you know, in my case, I, as I mentioned earlier on, I was a smoker and drinker and poker player, all the rest of it, and, you know, in terrible shape. Uh, and yet a year later, a year and a half later, I'd given up smoking and run the Paris Marathon. Now, I ran it in five and a half hours, which puts me up there with the old grannies. Who cares? Um, but I'm really proud that I did it. And, Mate, um, hell of an achievement. I did it purely because it took me... 49, 39 years on this planet to work out that if you do one step of a time, you can do anything. I was always jump, jumping ahead in my thinking, and that's what 
and it made me end up in this depressed state. I needed to stay here and just see in the here and now, what can I do today? What, what feels good today? What's good enough today? Mm. Stop thinking about tomorrow. If I think about tomorrow, I'm never going to get anywhere, you know. Exactly. That's it. Taking you out of the present moment. I love that. So, yeah, just tell us where the listeners could find you. Um, yeah, I, I mean, anything you've got for us, your app, anything, mate. Okay, so the app is uh, for Apple Dynamic Running Therapy. The um, TEDx talk is called Movement is Medicine, William Pullen, P-U-L-L-E-N, on um, YouTube. I've got a website, dynamicrunningtherapy.com. I've got a Instagram account, E underscore running therapy. And on Twitter, I'm at Pullen Therapy. Great. I'll add that to the show notes anyway, Will. So, uh, mate, I really enjoyed that conversation. So thank you very much for your time, Will. Martin, you are quite, I'm very impressed by, you're obviously a serious podcaster, as am I. You know your, you know your stuff. I think you should become some sort of mental health exercise genius. That's what I'm aiming to delve into now. Well, I've got a little opportunity coming up here now in, in Sydney, hopefully. Um, but I'm not going to, you know, t- talk too much about it, but it's, it's pretty exciting. And, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all kind of, it all merges together, right, Will? Health, fitness. It really you know, does. You've got yeah, to start yeah, yeah. with the mind, yeah. Will, yeah? absolutely well listen well well done and uh, really enjoyed talking to you thanks very much will hopefully we'll uh, we'll do another one sometime uh, with pleasure bye bye